Welcome to the Student Media Full Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz. I'm here in Bloomington, Indiana for the first episode. Um, and thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're getting started here. But so on this first episode, uh, it, it's going to be like this on pretty much every episode. I'm going to be the host, Patrick Feltz. And uh, basically, we're looking over this week's poll, the top 25 poll that we all voted on. Me and my guests all had a vote in. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the teams that they cover. We're going to talk about the teams that they voted for, the teams they like, the teams they don't like, and just college football, because that's what we love. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, first, I want to introduce my guest. So joining me from Boston, Massachusetts, you can find her in the Heights at Boston College, where she is the sports editor. Her name is Emma Healy. What's going on, Emma? Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, of course. And in South Bend, Indiana, the king of college soccer Twitter, JJ Post, coming off of the JJ Post Derby, El Postico, Wisconsin versus Notre Dame women's soccer. You bet you weren't going to hear about that today to all of our other listeners out there who probably don't care about college soccer, but here we are. JJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I don't have a Notre Dame soccer jersey yet, so I figured if Wisconsin won, I'd wear the Wisconsin soccer jersey, but Notre Dame won, so I got the Ireland jersey out. This will suffice. Off the Irish, 2-1 victors, big game. That is all the college soccer content you needed today, um, and probably more than you expected. Uh, you can find them both on Twitter. You can find at JJ Post, spell it out, and you can find Emma at underscore Emma Healy and another underscore in the end of that. So let's talk about our polls. This is a little segment we're going to do on every episode called Explain That Poll, where we all take our polls, our personal polls, how we voted in the top 25 in college football, and well, we explain it more or less. And I think there's no better place to start here than with the top five. You know, looking at college football this year, I think there are about five teams who have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And then the number six spot, you know, there's a, a couple ways you could go. I've seen people say Cincinnati, Iowa State, AM, uh, Notre Dame, a few others have kind of been in that six, seven, eight range. But the top five, I think, is pretty unanimous between Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. The only question is on the order. So I want to hear, how did you guys order the top five and why? I can go ahead and jump in. Um, so I, the order might switch up. You know, obviously the top four are definitely pretty solid. I would disagree that the top five are totally solid because I actually put A&M at number five. We'll get into that later. Interesting. Um, but with the top four, I did Alabama at one, Ohio State at two, Clemson at three, and Oklahoma at four. Um, so I can see the argument for Clemson at two instead of Ohio State, especially because you know, the Buckeyes are without Justin Fields, which is a big loss for them. Um, but then you think about, you know, just how important Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne were to Clemson's offense. So I think the Tigers, you know, faced bigger losses than Ohio State did on offense, which is why I put them at three instead of two. Um, their quarterback, DJ, DJ Uyunglele. Um, pronunciation. Thank you. I'm doing my best out here. <laughs> um, practiced a lot last year when BC played, played Clemson. That was a big game for us. Um, but, you know, DJ Uyunglele is a pretty good quarterback, especially when you look at, you know, his first real game last year against BC. He went 30 for 41 with two touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, and that was like his first, you know, real big time primetime game last year. Um, so, you know, still he doesn't have that much experience, but I think he'll be a solid, you know, uh, replacement, quote unquote, for Trevor Lawrence as best you can. Um, and then, you know, I guess this is a hot take, but I put A&M at number five. Um, so they're, I think for the majority of the preseason um, or like this offseason, their quarterback battle has been pretty up in the air. Um, but I think they finally landed on um, Hayes, Haynes King. Is that his name? Right. I think that's the name. He's uh, a freshman, right? Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think he looks like a pretty solid pick to start with. Um, they've got a pretty new offensive line, which is a little bit, you know, up in the air still. I think four new starters on the offensive line and a young quarterback, but their defense was solid and consistent last season. So I feel pretty good about them and put them at number five. Yeah, I did the, I, I went the standard route. I did top five of the standard top five. On personal principle, I put the national champions number one every year. So Alabama's my number one team. After that, I kind of went into more of a subjective, how I expect the teams to shake out week one. So number two, I went with Clemson because, you know, like you said, uh, I'm not, I cannot pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try to, but Clemson is, uh, you know, a team I think they, not only do they return talent, because they, they, everyone talks about losing Etienne, losing Lawrence, but they, they replace the talent well, but they also return a lot of, you know, top, top players. I think they're going to compete with Alabama once again, uh, but number three for Oklahoma, because I think Lincoln Riley, this is probably his best team yet. You know, the offense is going to be, 
as always, a juggernaut team that's going to boat race you every game. But I think this is the best defense he's had in Norman in, in a long time as well. So I think that's going to be a pretty big factor. I think Oklahoma's going to be a very good team this year. Number four, I love Ohio State. Maybe a bit of Big Ten bias coming out of me. But, you know, I, I think Ohio State, Chris Olave, uh, Stroud at QB, um, and the defense is solid as ever. I think it's going to be a very solid team this year. Number five, I went with Georgia because, you know, I, I actually believe I have Georgia in my final four. But I have, you know, really just it's I kind of put them in five based off last season. There just wasn't that playoff production that, you know, would put them in the top four to start the season. I have them in the playoff by the end of the year. But, you know, before we see them play a game, I still have them five. Yeah, and, and looking at my top five, I've got Clemson at the top, Alabama second, Ohio State third, Georgia fourth, Oklahoma fifth. Um, so I went with Clemson at number one because looking at their defense, and while their defense was suspect at points last year, Notre Dame, even Boston College, and, of course, the Ohio State game, they still have a ton of experience, and I think that's that's what wins you championships on the defensive side of the football. And on offense, we also saw DJ Uyunglele last season against Notre Dame and against Boston College. He looked excellent, and I don't think he misses a beat this season. This is my number one team, and I don't see them falling out of the number one spot until the playoff. I've got Alabama two. They're Alabama. What do I need to say? But Ohio State at three is one that I think is maybe even a little low because this Ohio State team is going to be incredible. I don't. I'm not worried about quarterback without Justin Fields. CJ Stroud is going to be more than capable. Uh, when you're working with the wide receivers he's got, it, it won't be an issue. This Ohio State wide receiver group: Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, and Marvin Harrison Jr., which hearing that name makes me sound very old uh, because I grew up watching Marvin Harrison play for the Colts. But um, maybe this is because I did an Ohio State preview yesterday and I'm, you know, maybe a little recency bias for me. But man, that might be the best group of wide receivers I've ever seen. Um, and that's not me saying that. That's PJ Fleck, the Minnesota head coach, who said that the other day in a press conference. But Ohio State's going to be great. On the defensive side of the ball, there's some questions in the in the secondary, um, we saw what happened when they played Indiana last year. Uh, Michael Penix threw for almost 500 yards, I think was the number. But the defensive line, Zach Harrison wasn't a starter last year, but by all accounts, he's one of the most talented players in the entire team. Uh, could be a first-round NFL draft pick. Haskell Garrett, uh, Tyreek Smith, and then Seven Banks, who there were a lot of questions with in the defensive backfield, but he's without a doubt very talented. And I went Georgia over Oklahoma just because – I liked the I liked what I saw out of Georgia towards the end of the year after pretty much after the Florida game. I thought Georgia was one of the three best teams in the country and Cincinnati gave them hell. But if that Cincinnati team couldn't couldn't get past Georgia, I don't see a whole lot of teams doing it this year. Um, and Oklahoma, I do think is going to be a very good team and they're going to win the Big 12. But the defense is always going to be a little suspect for me. I think I kind of need to see it before I believe it. But uh you know, looking at the top five, any of those teams can win the national championship, in my opinion. I'm a little more suspect on Oklahoma and Georgia just because it's a Georgia sports team. I don't know if they can actually win the championship, but on paper, any of these five teams could win the championship. Um, without a doubt in my mind, I think they're all going to be playoff contenders. So should be a fun year uh, with that. But getting out of the top five a little bit, I, I want to look at the rest of the poll, the rest of the top 25 uh, and I know there are, this happens, I know to me, and I've talked to some other people, when we're ranking a team, there's a team that you kind of feel obligated to rank. Like you almost have to rank them because everybody's, everybody's going to do it. They're, they're good. You know, they're good, but at the same time, you just think they're completely suspect and you would maybe call them frauds. So this is a segment we're going to have the most fraudulent team in your top 25. JJ, I'm going to start with you. Who are the biggest frauds in the country? My principal, I'm going to have to say USC. I'm sorry, any USC fans here. You're not actually bad. But, you know, it, it, it's that time of year where, you know, and it's not their fault necessarily. USC, Texas, Notre Dame, by, you know, the, the big blood program, the big the blue blood programs that everyone kind of big expects blood. to be good. I think it's one of those, you know, the big blood's really coming from my top 25 for right now. But uh, it's one of those, you know, programs, USC, you know, like Texas, like Notre Dame, that whether they are good or they're not good, people expect them to be a top 10 team. I have them at 16 out of peer pressure from uh, Big Blood, and uh, I really don't think they're number 16 team in the country. I think they're probably, you know, a fringe top 25 team. There's talent there for sure, but they're also coached by Clay Helton. So, like, you know, what's the point? They're going to finish number 23, and I will have them seven spots to the high for being a coward. I'll see you in the Holiday Bowl at the end of the year. Emma, who is your most fraudulent team in college football? So I, you might 
Patrick, you might kick me off the podcast for saying this. I had a hard time putting in Indiana at number 16. Get out. I did. I Get put out. them at number 16, but I had, a, I had a hard time doing it. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, six and two last year, six and one in the big 10 is pretty hard to overlook and returning a huge group of starters at 18 starters, I believe, uh, including, you know, a very solid quarterback, but at the same time, 16 feels high. I don't know what it is. Um, but I feel like, you know, and I think, I think a couple of the other polls, I think the AP and I think the college or the, the coaches poll had them up high as well, 16, 17 range. Um, I see them more as, you know, sort of like JJ said around 22, 23 at the end of the year. So I had them at okay. ninth. Um, if I can butt in and defend Emma real quick, <laughs> I, I think, and I, um, cause I also agree with her and I didn't want to agree in silence while she's going to get you know smoked by you. My take here is not that I think Indiana's going to get any worse, but I also think a lot of what Indiana did in 2020 was partially a product of the fact that there were some teams they played like Penn state that, you know, like Wisconsin, that were statement wins, but they're teams that while Indiana's going to be just as good, Penn state's going to be back this, this year, Wisconsin, I think is going to be back this year. And there are probably two or three games on Indiana's schedule that they won that, you know, it's hard to see them, you know, at minimum winning easily. They're going to have to play, you know, a Penn state team that is going to be retooled, re-ready. They're going to have to go up against big 10 teams that for the most part are going to be better. They, they were better than they were expected to be in 2020. But a lot of the Big Ten top teams were worse than people expect them to be in 2020. So I think there's going to be some regression. Um, I guess it's not regression, some improvement to the mean by the rest of the conference in 2021. I think by default, even Indiana stays the same. That might not help them. So here's why I think I think that's a good point you make. But you know, looking at the schedule, I think they got kind of lucky with their uh, Big Ten West draws. They get Minnesota, who I'm not too keen on this season. They get Purdue, who I'm also not too high on. Uh, but they get Iowa week one. And I think that's going to tell us a lot about this team. If they can go into Kinnick stadium and they can beat Iowa week one, I think that changes a lot of things. I think that, I think it's a game they're going to win because I have my questions about Iowa. I have my questions about their offensive line because it's an experience outside of Tyler Linderbaum and their defensive line, which those are the two strengths of their team usually. And, you know, both of them are pretty inexperienced and uh, it could be, you know, a little shaky early on by, by Iowa standards, but um, you know, look at this team, this Indiana team, handful of all Americans, handful of all big 10, or even more all big 10 guys, you know, Tywin Mullen, first team, all American, Micah McFadden, all American. Um, Ty Freifogel was the best receiver in the conference last year. And, and they filled in some holes too. They, they brought in some guys from the transfer portal, DJ Matthews, a receiver from Florida state. He's going to return kicks. He's going to play slot. Uh, and uh, on the pass rush, they've got Ryder Anderson from Ole Miss who yes, defeated them in the bowl game in the Outback bowl with Michael Penix on the bench. But um those are two things that I think they need to shore up. They need a, maybe another guy at receiver. They got that. And uh, pass rush was another question. And they've improved that in my mind. So I think they filled in a lot of the holes. They brought in Stephen Carr running back from USC. That's another thing that they needed with Stevie Scott gone. So while I do get the skepticism because it is Indiana football, there are reasons to be skeptical because look at the last 100 years and tell me, <laughs> find, find a worse program in the last – hundred years in the power five, you, you quite literally can't, there is no losing your program, but I'm of the opinion that they've turned the corner to an extent, but we're going to find out week one, Iowa's was a big test and going into Kinnick stadium and winning would change a lot of minds on that. So my team that I thought was the most fraudulent was Oregon. Um, I know this is a team. A lot of people are saying if the PAC 12 is going to have a representative in the college football playoff, it's going to be Oregon. I don't think that's the case. I think Oregon is probably the, third, fourth best team in the Pac-12. I'd have them about the same level as Arizona State. Um, last year, Oregon did win the Pac-12, but it was completely by luck. You want to talk about fraudulence? You want to talk about a fraud? Oregon, the 2020 Pac-12 champions who only got to play in the Pac-12 championship game because Washington got COVID. and then, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. That's a Mickey Mouse ring right there. That is a certified Mickey Mouse ring for Oregon. Uh, and, you know, looking at... <laughs> USC in a big game choking. Correct me if I've I've heard that before. Stop me. Stop me if you've heard it. But USC Clay Helton in a big game not getting it done. What? Um, least surprising outcome ever. And then they go into the the Fiesta Bowl against Iowa State and they get crushed unsurprisingly. So I don't think Oregon is as good as a lot of people are saying. I think they 
go into Columbus week one and they get, or week two, I think that's week two, they play Ohio State and they just get absolutely destroyed. It's week two. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they won't hang with Ohio State. Ohio State's going to destroy them. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying that's going to be one of the best games. Those are two evenly matched teams. They're not evenly matched. Oregon's got Kayvon Thibodeau, and that's about it in my mind. Uh, Ohio State is going to be one of the deepest teams in the country. Ohio State has five stars every position. Oregon's talented, but they won't be competing with Ohio State. I think Oregon, by the end of the year, finishes around that 20 range. I've got them 20th right now in my poll, and I think that's where they'll stay at the end of the year. They win eight or nine games, go to like the Las Vegas Bowl, something like that. I'm definitely with you on that one. I had them a little bit higher than that. I had them at 12, um, which might be, you know, a little high, honestly, now that I'm looking back at it and reconsidering. Um, but no, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. I agree with them being one of the more fraudulent teams, though I stand by my Indiana take. Yeah, no, I write the 17 straight up. <laughs> I just have no, I have no faith. And like, listen, it's, it's a talented team for sure. And they might uh-huh. prove me wrong, but you know, I'm a big, like, show me what you did last year for week zero guy. And, you know, for me, Oregon did not, while they did win the Pac-12, you know, it just was not like a, it was not a resounding, huge, you know, huge asterisks on that huge. Asterisk. Yeah. It's kind of like, I need to see more and I hope they do some works. They're a fun team. They got some great fans, but you know, as of right now, I don't see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that will absolutely show when they play Ohio state and maybe they get better by the end of the year. There is a lot of talent on this team. I think if they, if they were to play a USC, if they, if they get past Washington and they make the, the PAC 12 championship game, they played a USC. I think I'd pick them to win just because USC and big games, not a good combination. Uh, Clay Clay Helton Helton yeah, the Clay Helton tax. Um, but, uh, but Oregon, yeah, I'm, I'm not too keen on them this year. We'll see. Um, so looking at some of the, some of the other teams in the rest of the poll, I had a, a hard time ranking a couple teams. There were some teams who I wasn't sure if they were going to be that good. Some teams who I thought maybe 2020 was a fluke, maybe, maybe in a good way or a bad way. Uh, what teams did you guys have the hardest time finding a spot for on here? Because there were a few where I, I really wanted to put them higher, but at the same time, I was like, there's no way they should be that high. Who, who did you guys have trouble ranking? JJ. Oh, I'll go. I can go. Um, <laughs> so Penn state was one of the teams for me that like, yeah, me too. It's not that I don't, dislike Penn State or I particularly like them but like it's just hard for me to find a spot for them because I think Penn State is going to be good this year but it feels preemptive to say they're a top 10 team I think they could end in the top 10 but it's just it's ridiculous to put them in the top 10 at this early so I kind of ended up negotiating myself down to 14 which is like kind of like a I think they have talent but you know they're coming off a rough year and even then it just still feels really high to put them at 14 but that is where I think they're going to end up at the end of the year. So it's, I can't like, I'm not going to try to discredit them by saying I don't think they have talent because it's a good team, but there's a hard team to rank because the production last year just is not there to rank them in the top 15. Right. And, had, and this is a team we're going to find a lot out about week one when they play Wisconsin at Camp Randall. I mean, it's huge. Emma, go ahead. I had the same. I mean, I was going to say the same thing. I think, you know, Penn State with their season last year, first of all, I don't think we can really take much from their season last year just based on, you know, four losses to open it or sorry. Yeah. Four losses to open it. Um, five losses to open it. Um, five. And then finish the season on a win streak. That's, you know, not unheard of, but that's, it's hard to gain any real information on a team that has a season like that. Um, so yeah, I, I went somewhere between um, anywhere between uh, like 12 and 20 for them um, going back and forth. I, I landed on, what did I land on? I landed on 19, um, which I think that's, you know, a reasonable place for them. And I agree. I think week, week one will be a big decider for them and for the future of their season. Um, but yeah, I, I was really struggling with Penn State this year. Yeah. Penn state was a tricky one for me too. Um, I have them 17th. I have them kind of in the same range with a few other teams who I don't know really what to do with, who I think should be good, but I've got a lot of questions about Penn state's one of them. I have a ton of questions about them because there were some legitimate issues with that team last year that I don't know if they were fixed. And Sean Clifford was the biggest of them. This is a guy who was benched a season ago for Will Levis. Will Levis, he's now at Kentucky. So uh, really make or break year for him, but I've got Iowa 18, LSU 19, Oregon 20, and Ole Miss 21. Those are some teams I, I just have concerns about. And uh, 
they all they all kind of fall into the same category for me. Ole Miss mostly that defense because I think they're gonna have a top five offense. But yeah, uh, one that was really weird for me to rank was North Carolina. Uh, this is a team that a year ago made the Orange Bowl, uh, but they lose their top two running backs, and that was really the strength of their team. It, you know, everybody talks about how great a quarterback Sam Howell was, but Sam Howell couldn't do the things that Sam Howell did without Javante Williams at running back and uh, the, the other running backs names escaping me at the moment. Oh, Michael Carter. Yeah. Michael Carter. Uh, those two guys, without those two guys, Sam Howell's not the same quarterback. So if running back isn't as good for North Carolina, too, I had North Carolina 10th, which I think was a little high, but I think Sam Howell's a great quarterback. Um, I think this is a team that has the potential to make an ACC run to maybe finish second, third in the conference, should I think based off of talent they should be that high but at the same time there are some questions about this team particularly on the offensive side of the ball not including Sam Howell what are they going to look like because I'm not I'm not sold um and and in that game too against Texas A&M they didn't look great so you know maybe, maybe competition's an issue for them we'll find out this year uh they play Virginia Tech week one I believe so uh, that, that's a good matchup, a good, a good test for them to start the season in Blacksburg. So looking at some of these other uh, things we're going to talk about here on the show. Um, you know, one thing I was curious about, because when I was looking at this, there were some teams that I wanted to put like, I know we had talked about teams we had a hard time ranking, but kind of on the flip side of that, there were some teams I wanted to put really, really high, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it because it was probably too early for it. Uh, what was the team you guys really wanted to rank higher than you did, but just didn't? Ole Miss. Me too. Get on yeah. <laughs> Get on the lane train. I'm all I aboard. Mean, there's no logic behind them being in the top 15 of them. They score a ton. And for me, that's enough logic, but I restrained myself and ranked them, I believe, 24th. Because they're, like, they're, they're top I needed to have team. I needed have to have them in the top 25 in some capacity. I, I resisted I 20, myself I from putting them in the top 15. I've got them 21. In terms of having fun, they're going to be top three, maybe even number one, probably number one. Um, the eight bowl is going to be like But the in game terms of, of this year. playing defense, they're going to be like bottom 20. <laughs> yeah. And that's my, that's my kind of football team. Yeah. <laughs> um, call me out on bias on this one, but my hottest take was putting BC at number 25 in the like season poll. I like this um, a lot. And we'll talk more about this later, but, uh, you know, the returning all five starters in the offensive line to start with one of which is a fifth year starter. Um, you know, that's huge. That's a key to success um, for any team with a, you know, still relatively new quarterback having that offensive line that is one of the best in the country um, is going to be huge for BC this year. Um, and then the defense, you know, there were some questions, especially in the secondary last year toward the end of the year with a lot of injuries um, uh, people out. I think I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game toward the end of the season um, that BC was down to like third and fourth string uh, defensive backs. And, but this year we brought in some new transfers, uh, had some position shifts and the secondary is looking a lot better this year. Um, and, you know, maybe I was a little too hot on them in the preseason poll, but I do see this team being, you know, top 20 by the end of the year. So they were my number 26 in the country, actually. Uh, I, I, I couldn't bring myself quite to rank them. I had Utah at 25 and I had UCF at 24 this is going to be a really good team and a player who I, and I think we'll do a little bit of Boston college talk later, but uh, a player I love is Zay flowers. I think this guy is a top five receiver in the nation. And, and with that, like I'm a big 10 guy. So in my mind, the, the three best, the four best receivers in college football in, in my head are Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, David Bell, and Ty Freifogel. I think Zay flowers is fifth. This guy is incredible. What he could do last year, I talked, actually, I spoke to a lot of the coaches about this at media day uh, at the beginning of the week this week, but um, what Zay Flowers does is not just, um, you know, catch passes downfield, but when he's a weapon in the way that he is, um, you know, he's, he's fast, he's agile, he's not that tall, but um, he opens up the field. Um, and when you do that for a run game, like BC's run game is not great, but when you do that for a run game, it opens up the, um, you know, the shorter field. When Zay Flowers is going, you know, deep every single time, uh, the defenses are going with him. Because if you don't cover Zay Flowers, what are you going to do? You're going to get scored on a million times. Um, so if you don't cover Zay Flowers, that 
or when, when you do cover Zay Flowers, that opens up, you know, the run game, the short pass game, especially when you've got Kobe White coming back from an ACL injury. Um, he was a huge, he was huge in the um, Steve Adazio offense, which, you know, obviously wasn't big on the pass game, um, but is. Uh, they had a pass game? Yeah, not really. But I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> Kobe, Kobe, Kobe White's skill um, in that, you know, instance was, uh, you know, the short game, opening up the short game. So when you've got Zay Flowers going long, you got Kobe White playing the short game. It's sort of a dynamic duo. That's a perfect match right there uh, in that Boston College offense. And with a, a much better, you know, passing game for once, like JJ was saying, it should be interesting. And that, that's one of those reasons why I think this is going to be a team that contends for, you know, maybe a third, fourth, maybe second spot in the ACC by the end of the year. Um, the ACC is wide open in my mind. So, you know, looking at this team, I also I think love Boston College's schedule. I think I do too. It's a really favorable, you know, pass, a really favorable schedule. Clemson yeah. is the only game on that schedule. I think they outright like lose and everything else. I not to say favorites, but winnable. Hell yeah. and, and given how oh. they played Clemson last year, I don't think that's a guarantee. You never know. Loss. No, Any I don't think that's a guarantee either. Not but even, I think not that close. I, I don't want to call them gimme games, but I sort of do. The first, you know, the, the early it's games. It's Colgate, and, UMass, and Temple. You can call them gimme, gimme okay, games. Okay, okay. Yeah. Colgate, UMass, and Temple to open the season is. Beautiful. You know, I think huge for their, their season. Like, you know, you, I don't want to, you know, jinx anything, but you get those first three wins, you're cruising, right? And you go into Clemson with a full head of steam. Well, you play Mizzou and then you get to go into Clemson with a full head of full head of steam and I think the Mizzou game will be a really really good test you know warm-up sort of for the Clemson game for lack of a better word um and yeah I honestly I think their schedule is about as favorable as it could be right yeah and they don't get they get Clemson I think week like six seven something like that which that's huge so you build up a little bit of momentum early and then suddenly you're going into Clemson five and one six and oh something like that uh that's massive. Uh, but the team, we're going to kind of keep talking about the same handful of teams, I think, for this episode. The team I was higher on and I wanted to be higher on than I was, it's the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, so here's a team a year ago. They went to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, JJ knows a thing or two about this team, Wisconsin. Uh, former Wisconsin student, JJ Post, forever a Badger. So they went to the Duke's Mayo Bowl a year ago. They beat Wake Forest. Graham Burtz breaks the trophy. Graham Mertz had a really up and down year last year, to put it lightly. There were some games where he was incredible, like the Illinois game, and some games where he was miserable, like against Indiana when I think he threw two interceptions and got sacked by Taiwan Mullen coming off the edge three times just on the same play. Uh, but I love Wisconsin because they're experienced on the defensive side of the ball. And a guy like Jack Sanborn leading your defense, I mean, that is that is about as Wisconsin as it gets. Um, classic Wisconsin defense. You know what you're going to get. Um, and on the offensive side of the ball, the second best recruit out of the state of New Jersey to go to Wisconsin in 2020 behind JJ Post, Jalen Berger. They've got their running back, the classic Wisconsin bell cow running back. They didn't have one going into last year. There were some questions at running back. Uh, Berger, I think, was third on the depth chart going into the season, uh, but he ended up making his way to the top. So if Graham Mertz can find some consistency and they can build the offense more around him instead of the, by the end of the year, it was just the Wisconsin hand the ball off offense. Like, we've been used to with Jonathan Taylor and you know, all the other running backs, RBU, if you will. Um, I think if they mold the offense around Mertz and he shows some signs of improvement, a little bit of consistency, this is a team that I think could challenge to probably not win the big 10 because they're not going to be better than Ohio state, but make a Rose bowl. No, I mean, Wisconsin, you know, as a team, this is as close to, I'd say as a, a prototypical Wisconsin team or yet an offensive line that, you know, is going to be good. You know that, of running back that, you know, Jalen Berger is not going to be in his apex and he's still only a sophomore, but it's clear there is a lot of talent there. He averaged five yards a carry last year, kind of under the radar, but, you know, if you're averaging five yards a carry as a freshman on a, you know, a team that was in turbulence for us year, you're doing something right. And I think he's going to take a big step forward this and year. And the offense was predictable by the end of the year. They knew they were handing it to him and they still couldn't stop him. Yeah, no, Berger is, what I love about Berger is how good he is after contact. Like he will get hit and gain another three yards in fair, in, invariably. Like, he is just that good after contact, and he's a player that I think, you know, teams hate to go up against. And But what's more is this Wisconsin team is adding, you know, Graham Mertz, who, if things work out, is going to be that dynamic QB Wisconsin hasn't had since Russell Wilson, that game-breaker threat that you can't just expect them to go short pass. You can't just expect them to go check down. If they're going to throw it, the long ball option, if Mertz works out, will be there. And I think that's something that makes this Wisconsin team 
that much scarier than they usually are because, you know, no one has had the game plan for the long ball Wisconsin team in however many years. They get Danny Davis and Kendall Pryor back. I think the two, you know, players that a lot of people just kind of forgot were injured. You know, a lot of the discourse around Wisconsin's poor season kind of took out the fact that they were starting Chimeri DK WR3 at the start of the season, true freshman as their main receiver by the end of the year. And I think that showed a lot more than I think a lot of people gave them credit for, or gave them a lack of credit for. I think Kendall Pryor and Danny Davis both being back is going to be big for right. the offense's tempo, the offense's deep threat. So I think if things work out in offense, it's going to be a team that, you know, you know, I'm not sure it's going to be Ohio State. You know, that's that's a big ass. But it's going to be a team that I think could, you know, pretty go back to their usual standard of comfortably winning the Big Ten West and then, you know, maybe giving Ohio State a fight in the championship game. So if that works out in offense, I think that's a reasonable ceiling. And, you know, then you go to the Rose Bowl and you do what Wisconsin does best, which was, you know, find a way to lose it in the last minute. <laughs> lose to Washington or Oregon or USC. Um, looking at the Wisconsin schedule, though, um, it is going to be a very tough start to the season. Three of their first four games. So they get Penn State, Notre Dame, and Chicago, and Michigan. But they get a neutral site in two home games for two of those, which is big. But uh, certainly not an easy start. But, you know, down the stretch, pretty much after they play Michigan, I think it's smooth sailing. The, the only game that's even kind of losable is – you know, I don't, I don't want to say this, like anything is losable, but I don't think they're going to drop any of these, except maybe Iowa at Rutgers. I don't know. Anything is possible. It's, it's not a terrible schedule late. Um, so if they can get out of those first four weeks, three and one, four and oh, could be a great season. Um, but I had them at 13. I, I wasn't ready to put them in the top 10 quite yet, but I think if they beat Penn state week one, I'll put them into the top 10. Definitely an interesting year for Wisconsin. So um, I don't know if there's anything you guys want to talk about in this top 25 in particular, anything that stood out to you before we move on to some specific team talk. All right, let's move on. So let's talk about your teams, the teams that you guys cover, the teams you guys care about. We already talked a little bit about them. Let's talk about Boston College. Uh, so Boston College, a year ago, I think they overachieved, but there's no reason to believe that this isn't a sneaky top 25 team this season. So let's say they start three and zero with three games that they almost certainly should win. This is a team that I think a lot of people are going to rank, right? Honestly. Yeah. I think, um, you know, definitely a sneaky top 25 team. I think it'll take, you know, a win at Mizzou, honestly, a win at Clemson to really start turning heads. Um, but with, with three wins out of the gate, which, you know, once again, knock on wood, don't want to jinx anything if you're superstitious about that. But um, with three wins out of the gate, I think that'll start, you know, getting people's attention. Um, BC hasn't broken the, the, you know, six wins like plateau in however many years it's been a long time. Um, So getting past that, especially with, you know, to start out with three wins in a row, ideally um, getting past that six win plateau will be major for BC. Um, and like we talked about, we talked about Zay Flowers a lot. I've been um, tagged on Twitter by BC fans, like constantly, nonstop, telling me to start writing um, Phil Dracovic for Heisman articles, um, which I'm not going to write. I think Phil, Phil, Phil Dracovic is the, the quarterback that BC needs, but he's not uh, Doug Flutie, for example. Um, he's not going to be, he's not going to be BC's second Heisman winner, but Zay Flowers is up there. Once again, I don't think he's got a Heisman in him this year, but yeah, I think maybe that, not back-to-back receivers. But yeah, <laughs> but I do think I do think that Zay Flowers will be, you know, the difference maker in this offense. Yeah, that yeah. him, him, and Alec Lindstrom at center, um, and Alec Lindstrom has been a phenomenal center for the Eagles for the last three years. He's started since his first year here, um, and so that's you know, I talked about the offensive line already. I won't get back in the offensive line, but. Um, it's the, the offense is shaping up to be better than it has been in the past. Um, hopefully to break that, you know, six win plateau that they've hit. Um, I take the sneaky top 25 a bit further. I'm gonna go sneaky 10 to team. Um, I think so I too. The, I agree. I, I have them. I have them losing to Clemson and I think they'll probably drop one more game somewhere on the schedule that like, it's just, you know, if you're not an elite team, you're going to drop games. So I see them losing, you know, maybe a Virginia tech, maybe a Louisville, you know, something like that. Other than that, I think they go 10 and two. I push back on the Virginia, the Virginia Tech game because that's um, BC's red bandana game, which I don't know how much you guys know about. They're not losing. Yeah, the red, yeah, yeah, about no, BC lore. They're not. They're not going to lose to Virginia Tech on the the red bandana. To be fair, game. I, I saw them lose to Miami two years ago in a red bandana game. So yeah, they, lost, they also lost, lost my game in the magic. They, they also <laughs> lost to Notre Dame last year in it. 
that's I've fair. lost my faith in the magic. To some with extent. that being said, <laughs> with that being this said, this time we mean it. <laughs> this time we mean it. And also, you know, last year's the 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 advantage of the red bandana game is the the community around it. And last year, playing Notre okay. Dame in an empty stadium, there that the meaning is still there of the red bandana game. For for listeners who don't know, BC's red bandana game is uh, every year it honors uh, Wells Crowther, a former BC lacrosse player who uh, died in the terrorist attacks in 9/11 and saved upwards of a dozen lives in the process. Um, and so BC honors him every year because he was known for wearing a red bandana. He was known as the man in the red bandana who saved these 12 lives, 12-ish lives um, in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Um, so every year BC honors him with this red bandana game. And it's this huge community event and everybody rallies around it. Um, and one of BC's most groundbreaking wins was the very first red bandana game and so virginia tech is obviously you know going to be a solid team again i believe i had them in my top 20 this year no for, for the preseason i had them at least in my top 25 i can't remember where but really? um uh, i think virginia tech is honestly a, a very good team but that's not a game that i see bc losing i don't I trust i don't trust uh i don't trust virginia tech i don't i don't like i don't think fuente i don't i think fuente gets fired at the end of the season oh no i didn't have them in my top 25 i take it back they must have been they must have been like 26 or 27 then in my in my mind um but uh yeah no I agree with you JJ I think that 10 and 2 is entirely possible I think that a Clemson win is also entirely possible um but that's just my take they'll probably find a way to lose to Syracuse the carrier dome because the carrier dome is the worst place to ever watch a football game well last year last year Phil Dracovic won a 16-13 decision in the carrier dome with a, a torn rotator cuff so just, carrier dome is just like if you don't like I, my, that my you don't like college Forest, football my friend at wake forest hates the carrier dome so much and I, it's just kind of rubbed off me at this point i have never even watched the game in the carrier dome but it's like in my opinion the worst place ever so like electric, that's just my electric bias. basketball venue great for basketball but yes when they're don't, playing you dude, don't combine basketball and football rings. that's no, just terrible idea just terrible idea now, this is a team that I, I there is no reason why this team can't win at a minimum eight games. And I know, you know, six and five a year ago, but like this team's going to be really good. Uh, and they bring back just about everybody, you know, of, of substance from a year ago, like we talked about. Um, and a favorable schedule. Yeah, there's no reason why this team can't win a bunch of games, uh, especially in what I think is a pretty wide open ACC outside of the top, maybe two spots, even outside mm-hmm. of number one. I think this is a wide open conference. You know, it, it's easy to have your doubts about Miami or uh, North Carolina. This is a wide open conference, and there's no reason why Boston College can't capitalize and, and make a run at at a major bowl game. So, yeah, I uh, I like this team a lot. I think it's fun. So, uh, let's talk about Wisconsin. We just talked a little bit about Wisconsin, but 2020. Uh, I'm looking at my notes here. Was last year a fluke with with how? underwhelming they were down the stretch in, in some of those games, the Iowa game, uh, the game where they lost 14 at to six at home to the Indiana Hoosiers with a backup quarterback. If my notes here are correct, uh, they got to bounce back this year, right? It's Wisconsin. JJ, you're with me on this, right? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a good Wisconsin team, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I say that in like both like a kind of a sarcastic sound, like, you know, they're going to be good in the most mind numbingly boring way possible. And also <laughs> like a good, like a, a team that you can watch. It's going to be a powerful team to, you know, sit down and watch a, a 11 a.m. kickoff against Northwestern. Uh, and and uh, I think it's a team that we kind of touched on this earlier. Um, since I spoke on the offense earlier, the board of the defense, they return a lot of talent. Jack Sanborn is, you know, be going to be a contender for Big Ten Defenders of the Year. They got a lot of talent uh, on the pass rush front. They got, you know, obviously um, in the secondary, um, they've done a lot of improvement. Um, Jim Leonard as the defense coordinator has definitely been big for, you know, the secondary last year was, wasn't great, but, you know, Wake Forest, they picked off San Parman, I think, four drives in a row, and I think that was kind of like the, shining example of how good this defense can be under Jim Leonard. And I think a lot of reasons people want, a lot of the reason why people think Jim Leonard could be potentially eventually the successor to Paul Christ as head coach. Um, mm-hmm. He turned down the green Bay offer. The Packers. Um, yeah. He turned down the which Packers. Is, I think had a lot of people excited that he wants to stay at Wisconsin long-term and, you know, the overall, you know, rule, you know, is he, he's young and he's good. And that's about, you know, for a coordinator, uh, you know, we can't ask much more than that. He's going to be around for a while. And he very clearly, you know, is uh, he's he's made he's making players better, and he's recruiting at a high level as well, which is, you know, I think the perfect kind of storm if you're a team like to elevate your level from like you know top fifteen 
a top eight team to, you know, a team that could break into whenever the expanded playoff comes around, especially when the expanded playoff comes around, right. a team that could break into the playoff conversation. So I think that's going to be, you know, big. I think if the pass rush can step up, you know, I think, if, you know, guys like Jack Sanborn can play in the elite level all year. The defense is going to be as good as any in the Big Ten. And I think that's going to be, you know, a real tough team to get by if you're, you know, Penn State coming to town on the first game. If you're, you know, I mean, actually, that's what I like the most, actually, because Penn State's really – Penn State and Notre Dame, after that, there's not a lot of, like, you know, trap, Michigan, you know. Michigan's Michigan, still Michigan. No, I, I don't think Michigan's going to be great refuse, this year. I refuse to give Michigan – even though they will be, I refuse to give Michigan the dignity of me saying they're good, <laughs> so I'm not going to mention them. But this is a personal grudge. Sorry to any Michigan listeners. You are – um, you're okay and probably better than okay, but I refuse to say you're good. Um, so, I mean, like it, it's, it's a team that this Wisconsin team is a team that I could see them going into their schedule. And like a worst case scenario is they lose three games. That's if you lose to Michigan, you lose to Notre Dame, you lose to Penn state. And two they of those games lose, are, there's home. no way they lose all three of those because that's I mean, my, yeah, that's starting my point. one two, and three would be disastrous. That's my point. And yeah. two of those three games are at home. The third one's Chicago, so that's going to be a 50-50 crowd with Notre Dame, Wisconsin. I, I don't see them losing all three. So like, even the worst-case scenario, everything goes wrong. You're still smooth sailing after week four because you're playing up after that. You know, the, you know, the, the tough games, Iowa, Northwestern, are not many. But these are games that if you're Wisconsin, you're expected to win. You're expected right. to be favored in. And these are the games that they end the season on. They, they get their rough games out of the way early. They're done with, you know the games in which they'll be not favored in the Wisconsin, the, Penn, uh, the Notre Dame's, the Penn State's. And after week four, I think if you're Paul Chris, you're looking at the schedule thing, even if I start, you know, two and two, even if I start, you know, one and three, heaven forbid, you know, you're still going to close out the season very plausibly on a seven-game win streak, which I think is something that, you know, if you're a team, mm-hmm. you'd rather start, you'd rather end strong than start strong, finish, finish out poorly. It's and a total reverse of BC. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. We're covering all our bases here. <laughs> You know, looking at this team, though, I know you said that, you know, it's going to be a pretty typical Wisconsin team, good but boring. I think by Wisconsin Sayers, this team's actually pretty interesting. I think they've got a lot of a lot more talent on the offensive side of the ball than they've had in a while. You know, guys like Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis sticking around, getting older. That's big. Uh, and Graham Mertz all by himself, I think, makes us a more interesting Wisconsin team than even some Wisconsin teams that I'd say were better on paper. Like like the 2019 yeah. team, I think, was better. The 2019 team at Jonathan Taylor. Uh I think this team is more interesting. It could be more fun if they tailor an offense around Graham Mertz and his skill set because he's such a talented quarterback. No, I mean, no, I, I agree totally. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I mentioned Shimmer DK being the wide receiver one at the end of the year after DK and Pryor been injured. And, you know, he, he didn't exactly excel in that role because what true freshman can you really expect to expect to excel in that role? But, you know, if you look at his numbers before he was forced to be the number one guy for the last five of the season, he had a pretty good season for himself. But, you know, and I think he, you know, as a sophomore, after now he's got a full year of experience running routes against the best of the best in the Big Ten under his belt. I think he's good. he could very well take a step forward, and I think he's a player that if he has, you know, a, a good season, you're looking at three legitimate receiving threats, plus Jake Ferguson, a tight end who we haven't touched on yet. And if you're giving Graham Mertz, you know, the, the options in the passing game that he really didn't have last year once Pryor and uh, Davis got injured, I think that's going to be a very different evaluation we're going to have to make of Graham Mertz because, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. by the end of the year had jumped off the hype train. They're like, well, he, he kind of sucked for most of the second half which is true, but I think this year he's actually going to have people to throw to, barring the injury bump hitting him. You know, I have, think that's going to be a huge result. Having a real offseason, too, as the starter instead of just – Oh, definitely. The Big Ten canceling the season and then uncanceling Before the we end, play calling duties going back to Paul Christ is definitely also going to be That's big, too. That's another because, thing to, to watch you know, Listen, I don't want to I don't want to hate on how we – you know, the play calls last year, but it, it was pretty clear that it was one-dimensional. It was predictable. You know, and after the Indiana game, Mertz had a comment in the post-game pressure, like they were calling out our plays while we were at the line. And we had to go back to like pad signals. And I, you know, I took that game, like, okay, it can't be that hard to call the plays when you just say tight end screen and you're like white, right. One out of three times. But like, you know, the general gist of things is this offense had gotten predictable and Paul Chris, you know, it, he might not be known as the most innovative of the coaches in the world, but that man can figure out five different ways to run a fullback draw. And, you know, he doesn't get the credit for being the innovative coach that he is because he innovates in a very, you know, a very monotone way because he runs out of the power eye often. And now you're going to get a coach that has under the radar been a very good play, play caller and you're giving him a top recruit quarterback. I'm not saying this team is going to be like dynamic in, you know, immediately, but I think this team has a lot more potential to be dynamic than some people are giving them credit for. And that's certainly, not even mentioning the fact that I think Jalen Burr than, continue- than the average Wisconsin team. 
No, that's not even mentioning the fact that Jalen Murray could be a Dirk Walker contender. I don't think he right. will be, but I, I could see it be, happening in the right I mean, circumstances. I think he's a contender for the best in the Big Ten by the end yeah, of the year. No. Yeah, by yeah. far. I don't think and he's him, better than Bryce Hall, who I think has that pretty much cinched up. But, like, you know, if he and – Mo Ibrahim. Yeah, him and Mo Ibrahim are, you know, on – I think that could be, you know, a very legitimate race for best running back in the Big Ten, and you know, after Brees Hall, best running back in the country. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, let's talk about the other side of uh, El Postico, Notre Dame. Uh, so they do play Wisconsin this year, but you know, JJ, another Notre Dame Wisconsin tie, maybe the second best Notre Dame Wisconsin transfer of 2021. Jack Cohn, the quarterback. El Conico. El Conico. No, this is. It doesn't have the same. Right to it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, have it the was same. forced. I don't think as many people are familiar with him as they are with JJ Post. Also, oh yeah, that's, definitely. that's the other thing you gotta you gotta think about the common man here. So Jack Cohen's the quarterback for Notre Dame officially. He will be the starter. That was said a couple of weeks ago. There was a quarterback battle, but also not really. Uh, I know I watched a lot of him when he was the quarterback at Wisconsin two years ago in 2019. In my mind, he was a really limited quarterback who held back the offense more than Graham Mertz did. I think Graham Mertz is a better quarterback. And I thought Ian Book was excellent last year. That was one of my takes that people didn't like was that Ian Book was a really, really good quarterback. He was. Last year he was. I, I'm, I am the original Phil Jerkovich uh, truther, and I was the original Brandon Wimbush truther <laughs> before that. I needless to say I am not a big fan of Ian Book, not because he's not good, but because I think I was the original Brandon Wimbush should have played more. I was the original Phil Jerkovich should have played more. And, you know, it's going to be – it was a tough pill for me to smell that, you know, uh, a guy who might be more qualified than me to comment on this, Brian Kelly, very much disagreed, and uh, he gave Ian Book the reign. And we're going to have to give Ian Book his deeds here. He was the winningest – he is the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame's history. Yes, he is. So full credit to him there. But it's – I'll be honest, I don't think he's irreplaceable. I think Jack Cohn, even mm-hmm. in what we kind of know about Jack Cohn, which is he is a he is a known quantity. He's a high floor – he's a high floor – low ceiling kind of guy who you know what you're going to get you know you're going to get consistency he's not going to miss anything to you know he's not going to do anything that wrong he's going to play the game you know simply effectively but he's not going to win you games either he's not going to make the 60 yard throw that breaks the game wide open he's not going to run for a 40 yard scramble that puts your team ahead on fourth and 20 and i think that's okay like i'm not totally sold on the idea that losing that much because ian book was more mobile than jack home by some distance but Jack Cohn also offers a certain degree of consistency in the passing game. And I think Ian Book never gave you. Ian Book was probably a better passer, but there were moments where you just felt like he was gunslinging it. So, I mean, I think that um, he's a player that, you know, he's good and he's probably better than Cohn, but I'm not sure in terms of how much he contributes, how replaceable he is. Yeah. uh, And looking at the one more thing with with Notre Dame, before we wrap up here, uh, when you talk about the top five teams in the country and you talk about Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, then Georgia and Oklahoma, three of those teams from the playoff last year and the fourth one who was in the playoff who isn't in that conversation is Notre Dame. And I, th- I guess the question is why and why don't they get that you know kind of respect that, that the other schools get? Should Notre Dame be higher? I think most people have them around the 10 range in their poll. Um, I can't remember the exact spot we had them ranked. I think it might have been eighth or ninth in our final conglomerate poll um why don't they get the kind of built-in respect that the other teams get uh is it consistency is it because they lose so much or is it something else uh should they be higher it's the big game concern for sure to start off you know know, brian kelly i don't have the exact record for me but he's like one in 12 one in 13 against top five teams and you know i think that over time has kind of reasonably bared a lot of burden on how trustworthy the general public is in Notre Dame big games. Um, you know, they, they don't have a good record. You know, people expect this team to be a good team, but one that kind of fathers. But I think Clemson last year, the, the Clemson game at Notre Dame, you know, that might have helped to change the narrative. It's not going to flip it on its head. But, you know, Notre Dame finally showed that they could, in the right circumstances, take on an elite team, a, one of the country's best teams, and win. And sure, there were some caveats in that game. Trevor Lawrence is out with COVID, you know, and Notre Dame was well, they didn't miss a beat that game though. No, but the, what I like the most is, you know, we, we kind of talk about, you know, home field advantage for Notre Dame a lot because they are statistically one of the best teams in the country at home. You know, you don't, I don't think a lot of people think of, you know, Notre Dame is the most intimidating student section in the country, but the stats don't lie. Notre Dame is, you know, has, I believe the longest or second longest winning streak at home in the you know country right now. And I think that's something that when you look at the schedule of the four games they play this year, 
They play Wisconsin and Chicago. That's going to be a 50-50, both teams' big fan bases. Then they get three straight games, USC, Cincinnati, UNC, all three, all three top 10 games, or potentially top 10 games, all three are going to be at home. And those are going to be big opportunities for Notre Dame to, once again, prove that they can be a team that doesn't just be elite until they play elite. They're a team that can be elite and then beat the elites. And I think if they go 3-0 at home again and keep that streak rolling, I, I hate myself for saying this because I feel like I'm drinking the cooler that I shouldn't be. It's entirely plausible that Notre Dame ends the regular season undefeated. And I'm not saying it will happen because I think UNC is a good team. Spicy I think take. Cincinnati's a good team. But you look at how good Notre Dame is at home and you look about the fact that all their hardest games are at home. It's not implausible they end this season undefeated. Yeah, I, I, once again, not they're saying I expected that to happen, but I'm saying it could realistically happen. And when you've got a and, guy like Kyron Williams and normal back fans to, everywhere, normal fans everywhere are devastated. <laughs> Full crowd guy like Kyron Williams running back guy like Kyle, Kyle Hamilton at safety. Chris, Ty, Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams are going to be an electric duo. This is a really like, talented the, team, and that's not surprising because it, it's, it's Notre Dame. But the saying is lightning think, and thunder. They're lightning and more lightning. It's just you know you're going to get beat on the speed. I like that. And you're just going to keep on getting beat. With it. I like I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, this is a talented team. There's no reason why. I don't think it's out of the question for them to make the playoff at the end of the year, but uh, enough about talking about teams who will be in the college football playoff. We're going to wrap this up. One last segment here. We're going to predict one game this weekend. We have college football, actual games this weekend. It feels good to be back. All right. One last thing before we go, the big game this weekend, Nebraska versus Illinois. Uh, Who are you guys predicting to win this battle of the Titans of the big 10 West? I'm pulling for Illinois. hundred percent. I'm taking Illinois too. Oh, I can't be a root. No, I'm going to Illinois. I mean, you know, sorry, Nebraska. You guys are a great fan base, but uh, you suffer from a disease called not having that much talent right now. And I think Illinois, <laughs> under Brett Dulema, is going to be, you know, this. Okay, no, I feel bad for saying that because Nebraska is not bad. They're like fine, but like they're it's the Big Ten. Terrible. It's schedule. the Big Ten. They're they have a hard draw, and I just don't see it. I mean, I think Illinois is a team that's going to take a step forward this year, and I think it's you know. I don't think it's going to be an embarrassment of the game. I think it's going to be a close game, but I just, I think Illinois has the better coach. Sorry, Scott Frost, if you're listening. Oh, I agree. And I think Illinois has, you know, right now a, a roster that is probably going to show it has more talent. I think Illinois goes to a bowl game this year. That's one of my hot takes in the big 10. Uh, Brett Bielema, I'm on the Burt bus, hashtag Burt bus, uh, make a trend. Uh, I'm picking Illinois. Uh, probably not a smart pick, but it's, it's the pick I'm making because I am not confident in Nebraska. And I think they finish with like, three or four wins this season. They have a brutal schedule. Uh, they have to play yeah, Ohio State less and Oklahoma on the road. It's less a commentary in Nebraska that I don't think they're going to be that good this year. More just, you know, they, they did get unlucky with the draw. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's the game that and it's a schedule that can win or be lost. They tried, out of, they tried their hardest to get out of the Oklahoma game. And they also have tried to, to get the Big Ten to make their schedule easier by uh, – Thank you for saving the Big Ten, Nebraska. That that's a fun. We wouldn't be here without you. Fun little mini beef, Nebraska and Illinois. Uh, Nebraska and everybody, to be totally honest. We'll see you tomorrow at one. Uh, tomorrow when we're recording this. So that'll do it for our first episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us, Emma, JJ. Thank you for recording this episode. Thank you for joining us. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at at underscore Emma Healy underscore, or. You can follow the Heights at, at Heights Sports. You can find me wherever bad college soccer is being played and on Twitter <laughs> at JJ Post. J-A-Y-J-A-Y-P-O-S-T. Go give them a follow. Thank you guys for joining us today. And thank you for listening to the first episode of our podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye.